0: You are now listening to the Hack My Age podcast, the show that brings you guests for biohacking women over 50. I'm your host, Zora Benamou, a gerontologist, digital nomad, certified sports nutrition, and breathing coach. I'm the author of the Longevity Master Plan, the cookbook Eating for Longevity, and a new upcoming energy reboot program for women over 50. Now, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, and I would really appreciate it if you could please leave a review on Apple Podcast to help others find us too. This is a really small but very critical gesture that makes a huge impact for me to support a podcast for older women, help us grow stronger, get our voice out there, and attract even more amazing guests to the show for you and for me. You can now watch all of our podcast interviews and more on the Hack My Age YouTube channel. Some of our interviews include slideshows, so it's great to have. Every day there is a new video, so just search HackMyAge on YouTube.com or find the link on the HackMyAge.com website. Easy peasy. Before we start the show, I need to tell you that I'm going to go to the Profound Health Summit in London from September 30th to October 2nd, 2022. And it's a jam-packed weekend. We're going to Meet some of the guests we already had on the show in person, like Dr. Bill Laurence, who will teach us even more about peptides, and Phil Mykins, who shared how to reverse macular degeneration and cataracts. And you're gonna love all the other guests who will focus on peptides and their role in epigenetics of aging and improving our health, and and more importantly, our health span. So we're gonna have time for drinks, a fancy tea break, three course lunch and dinner, and time for networking with some of the most brilliant minds and aging. And it's in a really luxurious setting too at the Gluten Who Golf and Spa Resort. So make sure you make time to join me in the sauna. Uh, Early bird tickets are now available. And whether you book now or later, use the code ZORA, Z-O-R-A, to get a free entry to the VIP cocktail and a free consultation with me, maybe even while we're in the sauna. So go to profound health Summit dot com for all the details. And I'll see you there. Well, I am super excited to have my biohacking bestie, Leslie Kenny on the podcast again today. And she is amazing. I always love learning from her. And today we're going to talk about the nine hallmarks of aging. You probably never heard of these before, but they're a pretty big deal in the world of aging and gerontology. And they explain why we are aging. Leslie is going to help us biohack our way to put these hallmarks in our favor. So to give you a little background on Leslie, she is a native of Southern California, like me, living in Oxford, and she is a certified health coach with the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. She was in the first cohort of Dave Asprey's bulletproof training. So she is an early adopter in the biohacking community. And she's a great patient advocate. And she's graduated from Harvard and Berkeley. So she's little smarty pants here. And uh, she became a sexologist. And now she's the founder of Oxford Healthspan, which is a nutraceutical company promoting a healthier, longer life for everyone. And Oxford Healthspan is also the maker of my all-time favorite supplement, as you guys all know, primadine spermidine. (laughs) And so you can see Leslie is a pretty multi-talented and busy person. And in fact, she travels the world speaking at international conferences on aging. And she recently shared her knowledge at the Biohacking Summit in Finland last month. And now she's going to share it with us. So without further ado, meet Leslie Kenny. Welcome, Leslie.
1: Hey, everybody. It's so good to see you. And Zora, always lovely to be here with you and to chat with you, whether it's on WhatsApp or, uh, or for a podcast. Love it.
0: I really recommend everybody to go listen to our other podcasts that we've done on hacking your gray hair, talking about spermidine, talking about so many other great things. Uh, we, we we kind of covered some some pretty important ones. So I am excited for this one because you, you've just really gone deep into the nine hallmarks of aging. And we did study this in gerontology in my coursework. So um, quite important in that world. And I'd, I'd love for you to share what are these... Nine hallmarks of aging and why are they important to, to know?
1: The nine hallmarks of aging come from a paper by Lopez team that was published back in 2013. And it basically created a framework so that we could all understand the nine pathways down which we age. And there is a lot of debate about how many hallmarks there exactly are. If you talk to our friend, Dr. Sandra Kaufman, who's created the Kaufman protocol, she will say that there are only seven of these hallmarks. Some people say there are as many as 14. And I'll talk a little bit about some of those additional hallmarks later. But for the purposes of this, I just thought I would start by going through this classic paper. It was based on an earlier paper on the hallmarks of cancer, Sorry, Leslie. I want to
0: just share it with a little bit with people who are listening. Uh, we do have, leslie uh, Leslie's got this great presentation. I don't know, Leslie, if you could put it um, big, it would be great oh, if you could yes. see it Sorry. large. Good point. And so if you're listening to the podcast, we'll explain bit what the visuals are when necessary. Otherwise, when you get a chance, go to the Hack My Age YouTube account and you can see the full full video presentation.
1: So the the first hallmark is DNA damage. And I think that we all know uh, that it's important that we have DNA uh, that maintains its integrity, uh, so that we can continually photocopy our cells. Everything looks as it should. But when there is DNA damage, wrong messages are sent on how to replicate things. So that is, you know, the the first. The next one is telomere attrition, and that's where our uh, our telomeres our chrom- the end caps of our tel- of our chromosomes actually begin to fray and this is to do with that photocopying of the cells there's something called the hayflick limit which is the number of times that our cells can replicate properly animals like tortoises that live to 130 have very very long telomeres and humans have a relatively shorter telomeres, they can only replicate say 50 times. And the longer that your telomeres are, you know, the more often you'll be able to, uh, to make copies of these cells.
0: So it's important that we, we protect our telomeres so that it protects the DNA, right? So it doesn't get damaged.
1: Exactly, and this all goes hand in hand. What you'll see with all of these hallmarks is in fact, there's a lot of spillover and indeed there is crosstalk between the hallmarks. So we've talked about uh, DNA damage and telomere erosion and those all those have to do with each other as well as to do with epigenetic changes. So how does the genome actually get changed by things like pollution, whether that is air pollution, uh, whether that's smoking, alcohol, all of these things turn our, turn things on and off in our genome in ways that can either benefit us if we're exercising or eating right, or turn them, turn them on in ways that are not beneficial to us.
0: So those are epigenetic changes.
1: Then impaired proteostasis is the fourth hallmark of aging. And this is where you need to have proteins folded inside the cell. So the hallmarks of aging have a lot to do with cellular functioning. Inside the cell, you have, uh, you, know, you have your mitochondria and you have proteins that need to be properly folded to fit together, to function correctly. And if they are misfolded, as you can see in this particular image, they're not going to function properly.
0: So the mitochondria are the powerhouses of our cells. If you remember that in biology, that's what what gives us energy, but also the body energy to to function and 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 uh, and work optimally.
1: Exactly. So, and that is indeed the next hallmark, which is mitochondrial dysfunction. So, if you have impaired protein folding inside the mitochondria, you're not going to get uh, the same kind of energy output that you would otherwise. So
0: it's kind of like actually what you just described. You know, and this is what number six or five, this is five, yeah. And so you know when we talked about, you mentioned first, you know, the DNA damage and the telomere attrition. So yeah, if your telomeres are eroded faster and you are shorter, then your DNA is more damaged. And if your DNA is more damaged, or your or the cell itself, you know, is is not functioning optimally, then we have the mitochondria there, and it's just seems like there's this flow even where. You know, it's it, like you said, crossover. So it's, it's, um, you can see how, how this can be the, the chain, the, the link is actually formed.
1: Exactly. They're all linked to each other. Altered nutrient sensing. Uh, sorry about the quality of this particular slide. Uh, these are neurons that are trying to sense. And nutrients. And one of the things that we know about patients with Alzheimer's is that they no longer are able, their neurons are no longer able to uh, to sense things like glucose properly. Uh, sometimes those uh, those receptors for glucose are actually covered with a biofilm. And this is why finding an alternative energy source like ketones, because ketones always work. They work from the time we're in utero to the time we're infants and are being breastfed. To the time that we die, ketones work as an alternative fuel source. Then there's stem cell dysfunction, which I don't think I need to explain. I think all of us know what that is. Impaired intercellular communication. Again, you know, the ability of cells to communicate with each other, very important. And finally, the ninth hallmark is cell senescence. This is where, as we get older, some of those cells, once they get to that Hayflick limit, they should die in in a process called apoptosis, but they don't always die. And they can linger in the way that zombies can, right? And if anybody's ever seen one of these zombie horror flicks, what happens is that a zombie comes to town and then infects one other person and then another person. And it's sort of that cascade where suddenly the entire neighborhood is infected. And that's the problem with these zombie cells. They sort of hang around, they don't actually contribute to the health of that community of cells. And in fact, they detract from the performance of that entire group of cells. So getting rid of those cells uh, so that they don't have that, uh, that negative impact is then quite important. This episode
0: is sponsored by Primidine, a supplement that if I had to choose only one, it would pretty much be this one. It's because primidine is spermidine and this has been shown to activate autophagy, which is super important. And it's basically a cellular cleanup and recycling process that declines as we age. When we get older, our cells accumulate a lot of junk and a lot of waste, and this isn't really great for us. So we need to clean it up. So if you want some research, go to primidine.com and you can see all of it supporting cognitive health and heart health, hormone balancing, and long and strong hair, nails, and eyelashes by using spermidine. So another very important reason why I love primidine in particular so much is that I've never had received ever as much feedback about a product as I have with primidine, literally several times a week, someone reaches out to me on Facebook or Instagram with an amazing testimonial. And most of the time it's about improved sleep. So I can honestly say that I can 100% be convinced now that primidine is the best spermidine supplement you'll ever find. And you can try it with a 15% discount by using the code ZORA, Z-O-R-A, on primadine.com. And that's P-R-I-M-E-A-D-I-N-E.com. Now enjoy the show. What is the difference between the nutrient sensing and the intracellular communication? Because they sound quite similar.
1: So nutrient sensing is about about energy, but sending messages uh, between cells is, uh, is different. That's that's really the difference there. Uh, one is taking, taking uh, food in. The other one is really about sending something out. But what's interesting, I mentioned that there are papers that, in fact, say that there are more than nine hallmarks. And I, I saw one, I think, somewhere that said there were 14. And I, I can't remember all of them. I remember that they, because they're at this point in time, there's so much debate around this. But what does seem to be consistent across all of the new papers is that impaired autophagy is itself a hallmark of aging. And what I'd like to do is just talk a little bit more about autophagy itself. So we know that it comes from the Greek, auto, self, and phagy for eating. And it's really this the cellular housekeeping system. And I was talking to someone who said that they'd done a very good job when they were young at keeping their home pristine. And then when their children came along, they started gathering lots of pairs of shoes, Lego, too many plastic toys, lots of clothing for the children as they outgrew them, but then didn't get rid of them. And that's sort of what happens to us, to ourselves, as we get older. We sort of gather this cellular junk that sort of has a drag effect on us, right? So if we think about autophagy as having our own personal Marie Kondo in the cells, saying, yeah, those shoes, that's got to go to recycling, right? The Lego, let's definitely get rid of that, give that to somebody else. And just looking for the things in the cell that spark joy and work well and getting rid of everything else, that's what autophagy is. And there is, in fact, a reason why I like to bring Marie Kondo into the conversation, and it's because the mechanism of action of autophagy was discovered by a Japanese scientist named Yoshinori Osumi, who won the Nobel Prize in medicine or physiology in 2016. And one of his lab assistants, who is now a professor at Osaka University, Tomatsu Yoshimori, is the world's leading expert in mammalian autophagy and how that process works, because there are very interesting mammals like the naked mole rat that are very capable of maintaining autophagy for a long time. I don't know if I need to go into uh, how exactly autophagy works um, because I've mentioned how it's it's kind of a bagging up process. You've got these trash bags that engulf all of this worn out cellular material, misfolded proteins, you know, damaged mitochondria. And then it connects to something called a lysosome. And anybody who's watching this will see a little red or orange dot. That is, that's the lysosome. You sort of need the same number of lysosomes as you do those bags so that you can actually burn up the bag. And the burning up process is what gives people energy. When you fast and you your body says, Right, I have no food coming in. I need to burn something for energy. It actually kickstarts this uh, autophagic process, because you can create energy by having autophagy in the body.: How is
0: autophagy different than mitophagy? I've heard of mitophagy before.
1: Mitophagy is a, it's a related process, and it's basically where you take the mitochondria and you do the same thing. So there is this bagging up of the mitochondria and it is actually uh, the, the damaged mitochondria are sequestered and they are replaced. Is that happen in
0: conjunction with autophagy? Is-
1: yes, exactly. And virophagy happens at the same time as does lipophagy. There are quite a few of these offages. There's something called ferritin which is where ferritin releases iron and uh, individuals who have had covid and did not because the virus needs iron to grow a lot of these folks seem to have very high ferritin levels afterwards and in fact the body was stopping the ferritinophagy the autophagy process so that the virus could not grow with the release of iron so I guess one of, the, one of my big takeaways from talking about all of these hallmarks of aging is that there's a lot of crosstalk between the hallmarks, as we saw with telomere attrition, DNA damage, epigenetic changes, for instance, and that autophagy itself is a hallmark, but that it can, in fact, improve a number of these hallmarks. So uh, we know that that autophagy helps with things like DNA, preventing DNA damage and preventing stem cell exhaustion. And so this statement, which is on the screen here, which is dysregulated autophagy is a cause and not a consequence of aging is a really important one to take away. Because it says that when we get, we get older because autophagy is dysregulated, It's not that as we get older, autophagy must be dysregulated. It's not that aging causes this dysregulation. It's the other way around. It's dysregulated autophagy that starts this aging process. So if we can keep autophagy functioning perfectly, we can slow down, maybe reverse, but at least slow down the pace at which we age. And that's why you can take two twins, uh, ones who say smoked and one who hasn't, and you can really see the difference in aging between the two because the smoker will have dysregulated autophagy. What is interesting also is that if there is just one mutation in just a single part of the autophagic machinery, that is enough to cause significant implications for man And that just goes to the heart of how important it is to make sure that everything within the autophagic machinery is running properly. So this particular slide really looks at the impact of autophagy on all the hallmarks of aging. I sort of wanted to to show that, that autophagy can positively impact all of these hallmarks, although it may be a hallmark in itself, All of the nine uh, can be impacted. And we have evidence that we have scientific proof that it definitely inhibits six of these hallmarks. So again, things like telomere attrition, epigenetic changes, stem cell exhaustion, misfolded protein, those types of things. And because of the fact that there is crosstalk amongst them, the more hallmarks we can Inhibit the greater chance our bodies have to inhibit the remaining three hallmarks that we have not yet scientifically proven autophagy impacts. I would posit, though I have, you know, we don't have the scientific proof, but I would posit that autophagy has an impact on all nine. For instance, with regard to cell senescence, we don't have proof that completely ironclad proof that autophagy that it will will inhibit cell senescence. but we know that it does this with the immune system. So if it does it with one system in the body, I think it is at least possible it could do it with other parts of the body as well.
0: You would think that autophagy would be like the tenth hallmark of aging at least because it's so important and it is so integrated into the other nine. Yeah, You know, you said that some there are some people who say they're 14 hallmarks of aging. Is, is autophagy one of them?
1: Yes. Autophagy is definitely one of them. Yes.
0: Okay. So it's just a matter of time before the rest of the scientific community like, accepts autophagy.
1: Yeah. You know, it's I think it's um, different definitions. And the more we learn about the importance of autophagy to cell uh, health span and survival, the more clear it becomes to me and I think to others that this is a really big lever that we can use to slow down the aging process prolong not just life, but healthy life, right? Because nobody wants to live long if they're sick. That's, that was really the, the potted answer to uh, what are the hallmarks of aging. I, I just thought I'd use those slides because they, they help go through and, 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 and really show what, you know, what they are.
0: Yeah. They, the the visual, the visuals part is important. So, and, and anyone who's listening and for, and learning about the nine hormones of aging for the first time, you're going to forget it. Don't worry. (laughs) Like it's, you need to repeat (laughs) this like a hundred times because until it just kind of sinks in. So don't worry if it just kind of goes over your head a little bit, you know, the, the big picture is that there are these Hallmarks of aging—they exist, and they are impacted uh, by autophagy. You know, you've probably been listening to the podcast; and you learned a lot about autophagy already. But if, if it's your first time, no big deal—you're going to hear it a lot more uh, now that you've heard it. One of my questions was, you know, what is the most important hallmark of <laughs> aging? And I'd almost answer that with autophagy, even though it's not technically <laughs> one of them.
1: That that's actually my that's actually my answer, and uh, I knew you were going to ask that question, and that's why I particularly wanted to to show to go through through the first part of that deck was really just to show how important how important autophagy is, but also um, to really impress upon people that uh, that there are a lot of these hallmarks, a lot of cross talk between them. If you can hit just one of them, you will positively, autophagy can actually inhibit six. which if hitting just one is a good thing. For example, NAD, I think hits, just quickly take a look here at my slide, but NAD enhancers hit impaired intercellular communication.
0: NAD is uh, nicotinamide adenine di-something. What is that? How do you... <laughs>
1: You know, I really just know nicotinamide riboside.
0: And then there's the NAD. So NAD, if you've heard us, you know, that probably you heard before. And that's very, very important for, for energy and just for overall health and 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 the longevity. We've had this discussion with Dr. Uh, Nina Lauk. And yeah, so you want to have NAD. That's a good thing. We want NAD and very often people take NAD precursors or like NR or NMN or even Nichito. And that's where they try to get their NAD boosted because we lose it as we age. That's why little kids are spinning around like crazy because they got tons of it. Um, so yeah, I just want to explain a little bit what NAD is for some people who don't know what that is. Sorry.
1: One of my favorite charts is is the one that Professor Linda Partridge, Matias Fuente Alba from University College London and um, Brian Kennedy at National University of Singapore did a couple of years ago. And this was published in Nature Review's Drug Discovery in a paper called The Quest to Slow Aging Through Drug Discovery. And they rank all of the targets to slow aging against the nine hallmarks of aging. And when I saw this and I saw NAD and it said one, I thought, but I don't understand because I hear a lot about NAD and how important it is. And certainly when I take nicotinamide riboside, I do feel it. When I take, say, Cheeto, I do feel it. And so then I'm thinking, but wait a second, molecules that actually trigger autophagy, like spermidine, which is listed on this chart as well, Actually, inhibits six of these hallmarks. So why aren't we not jumping up and down about that?
0: Yeah, yeah. Why is everybody so excited about NAD when when it's just hitting one of those hallmarks?
1: Clearly, science does march on. This paper was published, I think, in 2020, and certainly since that the time of publication, another hallmark that say spermidine inhibits has been found, which is telomere attrition, but I'm sort of thinking, okay, so what are the other things that NAD is hitting here? But we can do a protocol where we try to hit all nine hallmarks of aging with a smart stack. Part of that smart stack can either be geroprotectors like spermidine, NAD, some people use metformin, some people like lithium, some people like rapamycin, that's not my favorite. That's not Sandy Kaufman's favorite. We really don't like what it does to hippocampal volume, but you could mix and match things to inhibit all nine of those hallmarks. And there are lifestyle factors that we can take advantage of that also will trigger autophagy and hit many of those hallmarks of aging. So sleep, when we sleep, the body has a chance to uh, to fast and then actually repair the body saunas heat shock proteins which we talked about at the very beginning of this uh, interview that helps cold shock proteins will also help exercise helps as well and just mixing and matching between the lifestyle interventions and these molecules that help inhibit the hallmarks gives us a fighting chance of slowing every single one of those hallmarks so that we slow our overall pace of aging.
0: So let's get a little specific then. And really to me, if autophagy is hitting all those nine hallmarks of aging, I'd just go straight for the autophagy. Like let's just, that's probably quite easy.
1: It it appears to be the case. It's, uh, you know, in in terms of of, say cell senescence, uh, we need to, you know, we need to definitively prove that.
0: Okay. Well, we can still do other things than for the senescence. And so, you know, you say exercise, for example, can trigger autophagy or sauna or ice bathing. So what kind of exercise, how much time, and, and, you know, does it matter if you're a 50 year old woman or a, an 80 year old man, does that, is that a different uh, formula?
1: It is a different formula. And frankly, it's going to be different for every single one of us. Let's just talk about uh, lifting heavy weights versus walking. Muscle is protective. We know that healthy centenarians maintain muscle, and that's important for things like balance. It's important for simple movement, but muscle also emits myokines, which are anti-inflammatories. And some of those other papers that talk about the, the additional hallmarks of aging actually say inflammation is a hallmark of aging too. If I had to choose between walking, very good to get circulation going, blood pumping, some use of muscles, very good. But I like the I think the heavy weight is a good thing to develop muscles or trying to hack that by using things like blood flow moderation bands or blood flow restriction bands that might be a way to build muscle faster. If you weren't able to uh, access heavy weights or lift them due to injury, for instance, and the Japanese do use blood flow moderation bands, uh, katsu bands with uh, their rehab programs, with their open heart surgery patients, with uh, their centenarians. There's some great footage on YouTube of, I think, a 104-year-old woman who used them for six months and Grew more muscle even at that older age and was able to hold herself upright, walk with a greater, um, you know, with a faster pace and with greater confidence. So I tend to like muscle, but you actually have probably more knowledge on the exercise front than I do, given your background and as an athlete. So I really should be deferring to you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Now I'm a big fan of keeping our muscle there's so much, so great, wonderful things. Um, BDNF, you know, we're talking about aging, brain-derived neurotropic factors released, and this is wonderful for the brain, the blood flow, And you, you can get, you can get this with the blood, with the blood flow restriction as well, the katsu bands. And, and I, I've been uh, talking a lot about it lately uh, on my Instagram and Facebook, because I just love that. But exercise to be, I mean, it's hormone balancing. It's, it's everything and i think you're absolutely right when it's you know that question i asked you you know how much and everything it's it's really bio individual and so you know for you and me or we're pretty fit and we can do a, a hit training or you know just getting our heart rate up up you know to 80% more or less of our um, maximum heart rate is where we kind of want to be a little you know for a while uh, but not too much right especially when we're going through menopause so we don't exercise is increasing your cortisol. And usually by the time we get to our age, we've got enough of it. So uh we need to to find the right amount. But when you get an 80-year-old woman who's just starting out with exercise, she couldn't possibly do the same things you and I are doing uh if she's never, you know, started had a, a training program. So but then you know you look at people like train with Joan who can lift a lot more weight than me and she's 75. So again, it's so individual, but I think it negates, you know, exercise to me neg- negates a lot of the negative effects of so many things that are happening in our lifestyle and our diet. And, um, and, you know, you can't exercise a bad diet, that's for sure. But you certainly can do a lot, uh, reverse a lot of damage in general uh, in the body with with appropriate amount of exercise. So again, that's, yeah, to answer my own question, it depends.
1: <laughs> yeah. And uh, listen to your body. We know when we've done too much, or if you've got a a device, a wearable tracking device, like an aura ring, you know, look at your resilience, your readiness and listen to what that's saying, because sometimes it does know better than we do when we are very inclined, say after recovering from COVID to go out there and hit the gym hard, uh, we might, it might not be a good idea. And sometimes these tracking devices can give us that feedback.
0: Hey, I'm butting in for a quick second. If you enjoy the content brought to you in this podcast, consider supporting Hack My Age by becoming a patron on patreon.com. This is where you can drop a tip or become a member for the price of a coffee. Members get special material, free coaching, and private Zoom calls. Join us by going to patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash hackmyage. Thanks for your support. Now let's get back to the podcast. We got the hallmarks of aging and we got into the science and understand that. Now we didn't talk about, but I think it's just kind of assumed that when you have damage to these hallmarks of aging or when these hallmarks of aging are are going in the wrong direction, then it sets you up for diseases of aging. So you're just more at risk. You know, that's just kind of to say, you know, talking about cancer and diabetes and our uh, heart disease uh, alzheimer's all these things you could you could link to the hallmarks of aging and that's why we talk about it so age is the biggest risk factor for all diseases
1: biological age
0: biological age exactly chronological age is the number of years on you know number of candles on your birthday cake but your biological age is is how you're how old you are really on the inside and you're absolutely right you know that and you could see that with 50, 60 year olds who look younger than they do, and some that look much older. So, this is why we're talking about the hallmarks of aging because we're an audience here of women over 50, and we're concerned. We see maybe your own parents dealing with dementia or Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, and then we think, oh my goodness, is this going to happen to me? Because we say, oh, this is in our genes. But we know now that uh, genes are the loaded gun and lifestyle is the trigger, right? So it's only about 10, 20 percent of our of the risk of diseases and we can control a lot through the epigenetics they're 80 percent more or less. I mean everybody has a little bit different number. but when we're talking about those diseases, we, we, what's, what's very interesting is, is that women are living longer than men, but we have more diseases. So we want to take a look how can we, slow down, lower our risk for these diseases. And also the question is why, why do you think this is happening? We live longer, but get more diseases.
1: There are a couple of reasons. I think that women do have estrogen and that is very protective. There is evidence that exposure to testosterone, while it does help men with their muscles, that that can, can actually Predispose them to a slightly earlier death. And I think generally men live about 5% less or fewer years than women do. But men tend to die with fewer years of ill health than women. And that is the bit that I would like to see change. And where I think that things like optimizing our hormones, whether it is estrogen or thyroid can make a big impact, but also by triggering uh, autophagy and making sure that it's functional autophagy, not dysfunctional autophagy uh, really could help. And yet most people, when they think of autophagy, they think, well, I have to go, I'll go into ketosis and, and I'm going to fast and then I'll be able to, uh, to trigger autophagy. And that works. Uh, If you have a lot of weight to drop, but if you're an older woman and you're already slender, I've gone to some of these spas and said, "Oh, I think I should lose some weight," and they'll be like, "No, you don't want to lose weight because look at how skinny your wrists are." And uh, you know, they they do their checks of BMI and they say, "No, actually, you shouldn't you shouldn't try to lose weight." Fasting is then not a not a good thing for these women and you want to look for other lifestyle uh, interventions or geroprotectors to use to trigger the autophagy in you. And for example, spermidine might do it, nobilitin, which is another molecule that triggers autophagy, and that is found in citrus peel, that could do it. And it's not going to cause you to lose your, uh, your muscle or your weight if you are one of these very slender older women. So bioindividuality again is uh, the name of the game here. And um, we want to make sure we come up with a protocol that's right for each person so that they can find exactly the right program to trigger autophagy, hit those hallmarks of aging, as many as possible, slow them down so that they can then avoid the aches and pains of aging. Or the diseases of aging.
0: Yeah. I think you know me. I'm a Dr. Stacy Sims fan. And we've learned, I've like, gone through their program, the menopause for athletes. And what she's showing us is fasting and keto is not good for women, not young, not old. But particularly if you're if you are athletic. Uh, and, and athletic doesn't mean you're, you know, you're an athlete. It means just that you have planned exercise. <laughs> you're going to yeah. a gym or you're going outdoors and doing something. And this is not good for our hormones. And, you know, there, there are some successes. And, and again, fasting is such a broad term. And what does that really mean? But she's pulling the studies out as more of a longer fast and more often. And in, in when you're training and you exercise, well, then you need to fuel and you need to fuel your, your training. So, so, those people, uh, yeah, if you want to activate autophagy, well, Exercise is going to probably do it. You don't need to add fasting on top of it because it's just too much of a stress.
1: It's a huge stress, right? All that cortisol. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Exercise is a
1: stress. Fasting is a
0: stress. You know, everything is these little stress, but stress is not bad. We just don't want to, you know, pile it all on top of each other altogether. You know, there's appropriate times and appropriate ways to do this. But there is a great question here in the chat where, that we're talking about autophagy, is there such a thing as too much autophagy?
1: Oh yeah. Just like there's a thing, too much fasting, right? You don't want to fast 365 days of the year. Equally, you don't want too much autophagy because you'll kill off healthy cells. So you don't want to use chemical interventions because in most cases with chemical uh, say synthetic spermidine, we have no idea what the results will be on the human body because those we don't have any safety trials on those in humans. If we're getting it from food, happily, the body has an inbuilt system to say too much, can't do more spermidine from say natto or mushrooms or wheat germ because the body just can't take in that much. To the point of toxicity, which is a good thing. But yes, you know, you don't want too much autophagy because you will compromise uh, healthy cells. So, so you mean then when we get that say, from
0: food, it's quite safe because the body just shuts down the autophagy process once
1: it's kind of done? It's more that our bodies say, I can't eat more. And so it limits the amount of those molecules that trigger autophagy in the body. I have met people who've said, oh, you know, David Sinclair said he takes a gram of spermidine every single day. And uh, this was, he misspoke there.
0: I thought so too. I remember he said that and I was like, I think he meant milligram.
1: <laughs> he meant a milligram. He went, met one milligram, not one gram. There is only a thousand percent difference. <laughs> and But I did have men asking me, well, why would I take only one, uh, one milligram when David Sinclair is taking a, you know, he's taking a thousand milligrams, one gram, I need to do that too. They were looking online for, uh, you know, for as high a dose as possible, which I think even in the synthetic realm, some of the higher doses are probably, I don't know, 10 milligrams. And they're, oh, I have to take you know, I'm going to have to, to take a hundred times that or something. And that is not the way to go. Do not try to hack that system. The body has an innate wisdom to both optimize your uh, biology, but also keep it safe, right? <laughs> I mean, the, the same goes for, for exercise. We have a point of exhaustion where the body simply says, no, I'm not going to do anymore. Just stop. And it's there to protect us. It's not there to limit us. I know a lot of people in the biohacking space will say, oh, my body wouldn't let me do more angry at it. Well, actually, that's a protection. Yeah. It doesn't want more reactive oxygen species from all of that exercise. And it's doing our cortisol. It's doing you a service by stopping you from doing more.
0: Exactly. That's why you say you have to listen to the body. So then... That makes perfect sense because so you can limit, you know, your body naturally limits the amount of food that you take, but we're all taking spermidine tablets and so we don't we can eat a ton of that. And so how much is too, taking too much spermidine in terms of a supplement form?
1: Uh, the US FDA hasn't ruled on this, but the European Food Safety Agency has and has set an upper limit of six milligrams of supplemental spermidine and food-derived spermidine. And if you look at the diets of the centenarians in the blue zones, they do take in much more. I suppose the question then is how much are they absorbing? So if we look at, say, an Okinawan diet, they can take in, or an Icarian diet, they can take in 50 milligrams of spermidine through food. Then the question is, are they absorbing all of that? With a supplemental food-derived spermidine, we know the absorption rate is actually very high. So you will, if it says one milligram, you will most certainly be getting that one milligram. It crosses the lumen of the gut very readily, but does it do that with say peas? And that—that's a question that it's not clear. I would guess that they're not getting the 56 as measured in a chemistry lab, looking at all the food they're taking. I'm guessing that not all of it is absorbed in the gut. Hmm. Oh,
0: I didn't know that actually spermidine in a supplement form is actually, most of it is absorbed. That's incredible because most supplements we get like 30% absorption rate on average.
1: Well, it's the, the certainly with, with wheat germ, the wheat germ derived spermidine has very good absorption in the lumen, for instance. And that we know the uptake is, is excellent. Hmm,
0: Super interesting. There's a question here, since we're on the topic of autophagy, what about skin autophagy? Is there anything topical to try?
1: Well, you can actually use spermidine in creams topically. And there there have been studies showing not only that healthy skin microbes create their own spermidine that is released uh, in the skin biome. Uh, but that you can add it to improve wound healing. So there there are two separate studies. Uh, The second one was on fixing it in ointments that could be used for psoriasis and would help with, with skin healing there.
0: That is super interesting. Okay. Yeah. Because in terms of, for me, my first thought was, well, why would we do it topically? Because we get it already. I've I've seen results. My followers have seen results of just better skin, hair, nails, and eyelashes and stuff. Because just in general, it's happening from the inside out. But as you say, there's a microbiome, the skin microbiome, and that's we could, we could pull a Magdalena and just throw it in our masks, then wear it overnight. And, and she's had some great results, right? And uh, it's a Magdalena secret, and you'll follow her on Instagram. So <laughs> she's got great, great ideas. So she looks
1: amazing. Yeah.
0: But it'd be interesting to see, and I guess you could try, but I, there's no studies yet showing that the benefits of putting it on topically yet. Do you know?
1: No, there are benefits of putting it on topically. Um, that That latter study on how it improves wound healing Oh, it was a study. Yeah, there there was a study. I can't remember from which country it comes, but and there's some someone else I I met said that they'd gone to their doctor in Switzerland, eczema, and that the doctor had said, "Oh, you should try spermidine cream." Uh, I think there. I have no idea why the dermatologist would have said that there, unless it was readily available. I haven't seen it myself, but I think that at least in, in the lab in, you know, in the university labs, they're, they're working on this and looking at it as uh, something to improve, speed up that, that wound healing process.
0: So interesting. Okay. Well, I just grated my finger the other day, so I'm going to put on, I'm going to open up a capsule. of <laughs> well,
1: You'd have to pack it on, pack it on with some, with some carrier, you know? Yeah. In what order carrier to- should I use? I'm thinking I'm not a skin expert. I, I'm thinking someone else here would have a better idea of what would be a good carrier. Probably Magdalena would. You can, you know, you, you'd have to ask her because I'm not. I'm not a skin expert. I'm much more a, you know, beauty from the inside out type of person. And so I can answer those questions, but I don't feel qualified to answer these dermatology questions, I'm sorry to say. Well,
0: I'll just do my own biohacking and of one experiment and see. Magdalena, do you, do you have any questions or could you ask,
2: add to that? Do you, do you have an idea what we could? I think that everybody here, you know about Young Goose and they were actually, they introduced ProCare, a new product. To the market, it was vitamin C serum, and it was advertised like it's um, helping to get rid of senescent cells. So that was very interesting. I don't know what to say, because, you know, in general, I think that it's very hard that any, any topical, any cream can help to do something like that, because the molecules should be so, so small to penetrate, you know, the cell membrane. I'm really always skeptical, you know. We can help with these creams to for our skin to look better, that it's uh, smooth and shiny. But I'm not sure that we can help um, with a product on the market so far to to help with such a questions. I think it's uh, just maybe too scientific that one cream can help uh, <laughs> with such a problems. That's my my personal opinion because. I was working in cosmetic industry all of my life and I can assure you that no cream can uh, solve the problems of uh, skin aging. Uh, Very good skincare can help us that we maintain, let me say, good skin condition, but we cannot get rid of uh, aging. I think so far not possible.
0: But it's good to, to support all the other stuff that we do for our skin, right? I mean, using not a high quality skincare could actually do more damage to the skin. So I think there won't be any miracles with this moisturizers and peptides that there we won't use. be any miracles. Yes,
2: that's the best way how to how to say it. But of course, skincare it's very important because we are exposed to uv race and everything every day 365 days a year all of our life it's the biggest organ so we have to keep on going to to protect it to take care of it that's that's right but no miracles <laughs> anybody who expect miracles i think uh, he or she will be disappointed for sure
0: yeah i think everybody needs to go listen to our podcast that we did biohacker beauty because you are like in-house biohacking women, 50 plus uh you know beauty expert here with a lot of experience and at 56 you you certainly uh do not look your age and i, I encourage people to go find you on instagram and my secret she's secrets.
1: 57 57 oh my gosh we're both the same age she- i'm a winter kid uh, okay, <laughs> yes, okay. you are a summer kid I'm and a summer i'm kid. a winter okay. kid <laughs> okay so soon i knew i knew we were the same age but yeah But I would like to
2: mention now that I really did try Spermidine. Uh, I opened the the capsule and mixed it with my night uh, mask cream. And it was really amazing feeling in the morning. I noticed the difference. that The skin was really like, um, how to say, nourished, more nourished than the other night. So I, I tried this. The only, let me say, negative thing is because we are like mixing some things at home and it's a little bit dirty, if, if I can say so. Would be great if there can be a product like that on the market to buy. So, Leslie, maybe um, the next, how to say, <laughs> idea for you to think about this, to, to launch a product skincare line with spermidine, I think this is something we are all waiting for.
1: <laughs> I definitely need it. I'm noticing my 11s. So uh, so yes, thank you for the inspiration, Magdalena. I will I will give it some thought.
0: Yeah, we always were waiting for that. Someone's
2: going to do it. Uh,
1: I would maybe point out something
2: that is very important because more and more spermidine products are launched on the market. I was already talking to Leslie about it. People are checking just the price. And there are some spermidine products, supplements, uh, 30 capsules in a box, in a bottle. It's around 30, 35 euros comparing to one of primidine. And my friends or some followers are contacting me and constantly asking, "Look, why are you promoting the most expensive product? You see, we found uh, spermidine, which is uh, like uh, once." once more or less uh, the price and it's cheaper. So you should buy two, don't promote the most expensive product and so on. And maybe to, to tell more, why is that? Why is the price different from some other products? And I think it's very important for people to know this because some people doesn't know what does it mean to be organic or synthetic and so on. I think this is very important.
1: The cheapest products in the market are the ones that are synthetic. So these are perfect two-dimensional chemical mimics of the spermidine molecule. But spermidine in nature does not occur alone. It occurs with the other polyamines, which are called uh, spermine and uh, putrescine. They have horrible names. Those three polyamines work together in what I call a virtuous recycling feedback loop. So if spermine, for instance, is very helpful for DNA methylation, and if the body needs more spermine, it can take that putrescine, which is also in our product, and it can create that. Or if it just needs uh, spermine immediately, it can take it because it is already in our product. So uh, the synthetic products just have spermidine. So they don't have the other two uh, polyamines. There, they don't have the recycling and the recycling loop because all three of those can be recycled into each other. But the other thing is that a a two dimensional molecular mimic is exactly the same as your two hands. And I can take my left hand and my right hand and put them together, and they look exactly the same. It's like looking in a mirror. The problem is if I said to you, "Hey, would you like to have?" Two hands, but two left hands, you would look at me as if I was crazy. We don't want two left hands. We want one left hand and one right hand. So just because these two mimic each other and they appear to be perfect mimics, that does not make them the same. What our bodies recognize are actually three dimensional spermidine molecules and not two dimensional mimics. And I like to think of it as the way you have a glove. So if I take a glove that fits my left hand and I try to put it on my right hand, well, maybe uh, maybe the middle finger fits all right, but the pinky and the thumb are not going to be in the right place and neither will the, the ring finger and the pointer finger. It's just not exactly the same. So you're not going to get the same results with a very simplistic two-dimensional mimic. And another thing is that probably the most famous two-dimensional mimic of all time was the thalidomide that was used with pregnant mothers who suffered from nausea during pregnancy. And people said, oh, it's a two-dimensional mimic of what we know works for nausea. Unfortunately, the babies born to those mothers suffered the consequences of taking a two-dimensional mimic That looked like it would be right, but actually inside the body, it did something very different. We do not know what the safety is of these two dimensional molecular mimics of spermidine. We have done the studies in worms, flies, mice, but normally, if you're going to do further, you need something closer to a human. That hasn't been done, and we need trials in humans. Now, with food derived spermidine, also nobilitin, Anything that's been in the food supply for thousands of years, we know if it's safe or it's not safe. And in the case of food derived supplemental spermidine, we know very clearly that the European Food Safety Agency has actually examined this and has set their own upper limit of six milligrams. And that's a food derived spermidine. And that's why when I see 10 milligrams of synthetic spermidine, I'm thinking, is that really, is that one, is it safe? Two, is it effective? I'm just not sure. And I've never seen other people say things using those types of spermidine saying, oh, my gray hair reversed. And yet we get people who write to us all the time saying, wow, that actually worked. It didn't work 100%, but it's working. So the proof is always in the pudding. That's the very simple answer on the synthetic spermidines when it comes to other uh, cheaper wheat germ Derive spermidines, the issue is then that they don't take out the very fragile polyunsaturated fatty acids that go rancid quickly. So a wheat germ is taken out of flour because bakers do not want it in their bread because it limits their shelf life. As a result, we take it out of our, we take it out of our product so that you don't have to deal with any rancidity.
0: I think this is such a great explanation and People need to really be aware of the differences in the type of spermidine they find. What I like about primidine is that that's all you do. You're the experts on the spermidine. Like there's a lot of other supplement companies out there throwing out, who knows, like tons of other supplements. And so I really like that you're focused on this. This is something you take personally and it's your your passion and, and, and this, I value, value tremendously. So if anybody's getting spermidine, I only recommend the primidine. That's the only one I know that everyone I know takes and is very happy with. So um, really, thank you, Leslie, for for sharing that. Samantha has a question. I've been taking the non-gluten primidine and love it. And I was wondering, what does it do on the brain level? Is there such thing as a brain autophagy? I've noticed a difference since I've been taking it, like experiencing a computer upgrade.
1: Cognition is one of the human trials that has been done, and we use the minimum effective dose that was used to show improvement in memory and cognition. That's one milligram. So we feel feel confident that we can make that particular claim because the human trials have been done with one milligram of spermidine. Now, there is some controversy as to whether or not spermidine can cross the blood-brain barrier, but what we do know is that spermidine has a crosstalk with the clock genes. There are eight clock genes that we've identified so far, and they speak to the superchiasmatic nuclei deep in the brain that regulates our circadian rhythms. Any of you who've ever talked to an elderly aunt may know that, that older people have trouble sleeping at night, in particular older women. One of the reasons uh, is going to be lower progesterone, but the other reason is going to be less spermidine because spermidine has been shown to talk to at least two of those clock genes to help reset the circadian rhythm. Now, why is that important and what does that have to do with autophagy in the brain? Well, if we sleep better and the first part of our sleep cycle, which is the deep sleep cycle, then the compartments of the brain actually shrink back. And these channels of cerebrospinal fluid actually begin to flow and take out waste. And that is very important in keeping, uh, That that's the lymphatic system that's activated. That's very important in keeping the brain healthy and young. And the team at Cornell that discovered that Also, posit the theory that nutrients are also taken through the glymphatic system. I don't think they've proven that yet, but that is the hypothesis, which sounds plausible. And that only happens in deep sleep. Spermidine helps with deep sleep. So you could be getting a brain upgrade that way.
0: Yeah. If she has any uh, gadgets like an aura ring or biostrop, I mean, that you see, I've seen the difference. Where my deep sleep and I've played around with with spermidine where I take it, monitor the deep sleep scores, and then I take it out, and then I see it eventually going down, and then go back on it. Deep sleep goes up it's uh anyone who's wants to experiment, be your own biohacker and and use these gadgets and and see you know for yourself what are you seeing with your own spermidine experiment?
1: What I will say it's a caveat is that I think this works in about 70% of the population. It doesn't, it is not consistent with everyone. So there is a segment of the population who take it at night and say it gives them energy. Those people are better off taking it in the morning, but it does still seem to have a positive impact on their sleep at night. Uh, But it's just a question of when you actually take it.
0: Good answer. We have a question from Tanya. Can you unmute?
3: Um, I have a couple of questions. My first one: I'm just getting over COVID, but you know what? It was it was a two day thing. It wasn't a biggie, but there was a study done on COVID and um, spermidine from the university here, at Charité. I could only find one study. Um, I took it throughout my primadine. It didn't stop me from getting uh, COVID, of course, but my feeling is that, and from what I've heard from other people in the space, is that it shortened the infection it's all anecdotal i wondered is there any other information do you do you
1: have there is there is a study that's happening um, in wales at the moment but as far as i know the data hasn't been unblinded yet and it's certainly not been published okay so that is not yet uh it's not yet available so we don't know what the conclusions were what i would say is that Anecdotally, people tell us that it, it feels shorter. I had, I had COVID. I know Natalia, who's also on here, had COVID. Possibly, yeah, <laughs> that's right. You know, Zora had COVID. I think Magdalena had COVID. Mine was really short as well. I would actually recommend the original wheat germ derived version over the, the gluten-free version because the gluten-free version has some iron and the iron could feed the virus. That would be my, my next question. I'm anemic.
3: Ah. I also have a condition that many people from the Mediterranean have is thalassemia beta. So I, ah, okay. I'm very small. I know that in Italy, a study was done two years ago in 2020. And when, when they realized that there was a certain population near Venice that all have the same, you know, genetic um, polymorphism. Exactly. And they had a much milder or no COVID at all. So I, I, I wonder if there's, you know, so when you mentioned ferritin earlier, my ears cropped up and I wondered if, if there was.
1: That actually could make sense. So if you're naturally anemic.
3: And have thalassemia, which yep. means I have low iron stores anyway.
1: It's interesting how some of these, uh, these genetic polymorphisms possibly at some point in our evolutionary past, actually had a protective... Apparently against malaria. Uh, Yeah, right? And it was the same with with migraines, those who are prone to migraines. Me. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) yes. Well, the studies that I've seen on migraines were that it occurs more often in the Northern European population and that it was a way to, to help people sense heat it's too hot. You're going to get heat stroke. Okay. And uh, so oftentimes there, there was a reason why evolution kept those, you know, those, those genetic mutations uh, in the gene pool because they had a protective effect. Fascinating about the thalassemia and the anemia and the shorter duration of uh, COVID. Yeah. Interesting.
0: Great. Right. I hope that answered the question. Anyone else have any more questions before we let Leslie go?
1: Leslie, you,
3: you mentioned earlier that uh, about optimizing hormones. I'm 54. What do you understand as, I mean, the process of, of, of balancing, whatever that means, um, it's a, a moving target. When you say optimizing hormones, do you mean of a 25-year-old or would be optimal for you personally, if I may ask, or, or a 50-year-old?
1: Personally, I on thyroid hormones, I would like them to be of a woman of reproductive age. I know of a few clinicians that have done this, and that would mean that if your TSH is 2.5 or below, you're okay. But if you go above that, you need some assistance. And uh, that is not the case in, in every country. So in the UK, I think it was five for a while, and then I think they've raised it to 10 If you're older, yeah, but I don't want to be like every other older person who doesn't feel optimal, (laughs) right? And so I go with this clinician who I saw speaking at the Integrative and Personalized Medicine Congress here in London uh, about six weeks ago, who said, actually, her patients do best when their TSH is two point five or below. Um, My TSH is below two point five. I feel great. I can tell you that when I was age thirty nine and my TSH was above 2.5 I felt horrible and I had no energy to do anything at all. You know, with regard to the other sex hormones, that paper that I'd shown you earlier about, you know, the the pharmaceutical targets to slow aging, they actually put estradiol as one of the ways to inhibit altered nutrient sensing and impaired intercellular communication. So, they see estrogen as An anti-aging agent. And that is actually, as I said earlier, that explains one of the differences between uh, women outliving men is that estrogen is quite protective. So I, I don't think you need to necessarily overdo it, but listen to your body again. Work with your practitioner to find your own Goldilocks zone. I have met people who've not had quite enough, and I've met people who've had too much. Neither is good. And the only person who is really going to know is you. If you wake up in the morning and you stretch your arms and say, my God, I feel great. Life is good. Then you're going to be in the Goldilocks zone and you'll know it's right. All right. Thank you. Sure.
0: Well, we're going to have to wrap it up. I need to let Leslie go now. But before we leave, I would like to encourage people to go find more about her and her work uh, on, on Instagram. She's called Leslie's New Prime. She's got a YouTube video I'll have a link to. And go check out primadine uh, at oxfordhealthspan.com or just go primadine.com. Uh, there is a discount uh, that she's given us. Just use the code Zora. Leslie, are there any last words uh, or anything else you'd like to direct people to before I let you go?
1: No, I just want people to remember it. But- If you've got premature aging right now, there's something you can do about it. And that is improve your autophagy, (laughs) among other things, but improve your autophagy, the functioning of that, and you can impact all the hallmarks of aging and slow down the rate at which you are getting older.
0: I love it. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time, your knowledge. I hope to have you back. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome to to check out everything and where the places I told you to. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a good day, good night, good morning, wherever you are. and, And we'll see you next time. Thank you. See you later, everybody. Hey, did you enjoy the podcast? Don't forget to subscribe to be notified of all the new episodes and leave a review to help build the tribe. It's a small act of kindness that brings me big benefits and helps others find this amazing content. The best thing you can do is share. Sharing is caring. Statements made on this podcast have not been evaluated by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Anything we say or products we mention are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information provided by this podcast is not a substitute for personal medical advice and not intended to replace a one-on-one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional. It is intended as a sharing of knowledge and information from the personal research and experience of me and my guests.